Good morning, everyone. We're so glad you've decided to join us this morning. Would you stand and worship with us this morning?
like a vow that is tested, like a covenant of old. Your love is enduring through the winter rain and beyond the horizon with mercy for today.
leaders here. Um, if you would take a moment and say hello to your neighbor, and also we have some latecomers, um, probably because of the time change. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> sorry. Anyway, so if you would pretty please move to the center as we often ask you to do, that would be great. Thank you. Well, good morning, Hope Vale. There we go. Welcome. It is good to be together for church today, isn't it? My name is Paul. I am one of the pastors here at Hope Vale. And if you are new, if you are visiting us here this morning, I am really glad you're here. We all are glad you're here. And I have a favor to ask of you. You probably were handed a bulletin when you walked in. And at the bottom of that is a little tear-off visitor card. We would love for you to fill that out. You can drop it in the offering plate in just a moment. Or... Even better, after the service, you can drop it at our welcome desk out in the lobby because there are some folks out there who would love to meet you and, have, and give you a gift. They have a gift for you. I want to let you know we're glad you're here this morning. And it's actually a great day to be new to Hope Vale because today, after our service, we are going to have a guest reception, which is something we do every so often for our folks. We call it Get to Know Hope Vale. So after the service today across the lobby in the room called The Hub, right over there next to the info desk. If you make your way over there, this is a chance for you to meet some staff, ask your questions, find out what we believe here at Hopevale, how this church works, maybe find a place where you can connect, figure out how you can belong here at Hopevale. Uh, make sure if you have your kids in kids ministry right now, our, our kids ministry volunteers would love it if you would pick up your kids before you head over to get to know Hopevale, so that would be great. Now, some of you have asked me, since I've been here on staff, you've said, okay, you're the executive pastor, what does that mean? What that basically means is that I get to serve and lead our staff as they serve you and lead our ministries. Real direct example for you. I get to get up here today and announce the fact that we are uh, introducing a new student pastor. His name is Brent Ferris, and we are thrilled that Brent is joining our staff. He is going to be at the youth retreat this coming weekend, and I'm going to talk more about that in a minute, but I do need to clear up one thing. Uh, those of you who get emails regularly from Hopevale, this week you got an email announcing uh, Brent's arrival, and many of you replied to that email and said, well, what happened to Sam? Where's Sam going? Sam, our youth pastor. Uh, Sam's feeling the love. He appreciates your support. He's not going anywhere. Sam is going to lean more into his role as our next-gen lead pastor, and this is going to free him up to 
uh, lead our college ministry, which is an area that we really want to bring intentionality to. So we are thrilled to have Brent. He is joining Sam's team. And this weekend, they are going to be with our teenagers at our youth retreat. So I want to let you know that today is your last day to register your son or daughter for the youth retreat. So make sure you do that. I believe the website is theyouthretreat.org. It's a very creative website name for you to go to and register. I also want to let you know that every youth retreat weekend, we have an extra need in our children's ministry because a lot of our teenagers serve and we have an extra need for parents to step up and play various volunteer roles related to the retreat. If you are interested in doing either of those things, you can stop by the info desk out in the lobby after the service and let us know that you would be available to volunteer in that way. Thank you. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward now as we get ready to receive our morning offering. Uh, This is our opportunity to say thank you to God for all the things that he's doing. And I want to say thank you to you because your giving makes things like the youth retreat possible. Makes it possible for us to bring guys like Brent Ferris onto our staff uh, so that we can serve you and your families more effectively. Let's pray. God, thank you for today, for the privilege that it is to gather as your church, to worship you, uh, to be taught, to grow in our relationship, to move on our journey. Uh, This opportunity to give back to you from what you've given to us is our way of saying we love you and we are grateful to you for all you're doing in and through this church. Thank you, God. We ask that you be very present and you prepare us for the rest of this service. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. Hi, everybody. I'm Billy. I'm the worship pastor here. Glad you're here today, too. And uh, we're going to sing a song right now. It's called Living Hope. Uh, It's been uh, just smoking people in a good way on the radio. And and, uh, it's a really powerful song. Uh, It almost kind of feels like a little bit like a hymn. Kind of reminds me of like in Christ alone, those kinds of songs. Um, And uh, I think you're really going to love it. It's one of these songs that really tells kind of the gospel story. It's our void and our need for the things of God and Christ and the things that happened uh, and, and as part of that story, Christ giving his life and rising again to new life. So I think you're going to come alive. I hope you rise again to new life this morning with that, with that knowledge. So I hope you really enjoy it. So take us in, friends. Let's sing this song together. Just stay seated for a little bit. We'll get you up in a minute when the offering's being done.
down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours.
the story of our faith, everybody. Our living hope. That's why we get to wake up every day and have hope that there's something. There is something beyond all of this. This is not it. I promise you this is not it. Oh, there's so much more. Thank the Lord. <laughs> oh, God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we get to come and just worship you and sing our guts out to you and cry it out from the mountaintops that you are alive and you're alive in us. And you have this uh, thing that you bring that all of us need is a word of hope. We all need a word of hope, God, because we're all looking to see if you're there in our circumstances. We're looking to see if you're there in a powerful way in ways that we really, really need you. So God, would you speak today? Would you remind us that you are love and that you are light? And it's those things that bring us hope. And God, uh, we bring all of who we are and we lay it at your feet today. We open ourselves up completely for the things of your scriptures. We ask your blessing on Pastor Dan that he, uh, as he's done some hard work in preparing, that uh, God, you'd use him today. Use him to speak to us through your word, we pray. In your name, we all say, amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a seat. Hey, good morning, Hopevale. It is great to have you here. Bonus points for being here with the time change. So good to have you to share this day of worship. Want to welcome those of you joining us in Bay City as well. Great to have you aboard. And Pastor Steve, uh, so sorry about the maize and blue last night, okay? Yeah, I don't know if they're going to edit that out or not in Bay City. I don't know, yes. Yeah, so there was a basketball game yesterday. Also on social media, I noticed yesterday that there was an engagement, former baseball player Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez, or J-Lo, got engaged yesterday. There were pictures on social media of the ring. It was like this, right? But you know what? That was not the most significant engagement of the weekend. Friday night, our youngest son, Jack, Proposed to his son, to his, <laughs> proposed to his girlfriend, Grace, and she said yes, so, yes. So we're really excited, you know, Kathy and I, uh, for years, have been praying for more grace in our lives, and God took us very literally on that one, so, yeah. So we got a wedding coming up, we're excited about that, and today we're excited because we get to continue in the second half of our series in the New Testament book of 1 John entitled Confidence in the Chaos. Confidence in the Chaos, and as I shared last week, 1 John can be divided up into two parts, right? We had this diagram, right? That the first half of the book tells us that God is light, and the second half tells us that God is love. God is light, that he is pure goodness, he is radiant holiness, and he is absolute truth. He is the ultimate source for all our significance, our meaning, and our purpose. And the greatest expression of God's light came into our world through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as the Savior of mankind, as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Unfortunately, though, there were some in John's day who not only rebelled from the light, from John's message and left the church. But they also claimed that they, not John, knew the real secret to spiritual enlightenment. And so John confronted and exposed their lies. He encouraged those Christians who were under his care to walk in the light as God 
is in the light. That is the first half of the book. And then as we saw last week, beginning in John chapter 3, verse 11, John pivoted his emphasis to focus on the other twin truth about the nature of God, that God is not only light, but he is also love. That God is love and that his great love for us was fully on display when Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place for our sins. And so because we have been loved with so great a love, John encourages us to pass on that love, that selfless, sacrificial love to others in our lives. It's like we saw last week, 1 John 3.16. I love this verse. This is how we know what love is, the Apostle John tells us. John, who had a front row seat to the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, right? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters, that Jesus is not only our Savior, but he is also our standard when it comes to loving other people, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ within the church, And so as I encouraged all of us at the end of last week's message, I trust that you have acted on what you heard, that there is a specific person in the church that you were able to love in a very practical way, as John would put it, with action and in truth. That you put feet to your faith, that you let the grace-giving, life-changing love of Jesus flow through you to someone else in need. Boy, that is the spirit of 1 John. And so God is light, God is love, these two powerful, eternal, unchanging realities that are not just meant to inform our mind, they're also meant to transform our life, transform our church, and transform our world as only the light and the love of Jesus can do. That is why we're here, people. That is our calling as a church, and what an awesome privilege it is for all of us here at Hopeville to get to share in that mission for such a time as this. Well, as we pick up where we left off last week, we're going to see John go on a little tangent in today's passage. So he's going to address something that is not as appealing as the theme of love, but it is something that is just as vital for the church. And so to help us understand where we're going to go today, I want to show you this, right? It's a look at some of the major themes in the book of 1 John. And if you've been with us in this series since the beginning, a lot of this should be a refresher, right? That the themes of duty and devotion are huge in the book of John. Duty, the importance of obeying God's commands, right? What it means to walk in the light. And then devotion, what it is to love God and to love people. Or John would say what it is to love God by loving people, right? And both themes fall under this category of our behavior, right? Where we are not just talking the talk, but we're also walking the walk. And we've seen a lot so far in these first three chapters of these two themes emphasized. But then there are these other two, what I would say, less glamorous themes, if you will, that we've seen as well. Doctrine and discernment. Doctrine and discernment. Doctrine that John cares that we believe the truth about who Jesus is, that we know it, and we stake our lives on it, that it's so crucial. But then also, likewise, there is discernment. John is concerned also that we expose the lies that try to undermine and discredit who Jesus is and his glorious gospel. And so it's these last two themes that take center stage in this morning's passage. And so if you have a Bible with you, 
paper or electronic, I invite you to join me right at the beginning of 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and as you're turning there, I just want to add, like I did last week, that as we're going through this series, we have these journals available for 1 John. They're available in our lobbies at both campuses, and they're available for those of you who are new to the series or you haven't picked one up yet. This is especially designed for these last six weeks, and it's a great tool to help you get the most out of our Confidence in the Chaos series. And then the same goes for our First John discussion groups that meet during the week. Last Sunday, we launched another round of our groups for these second six weeks, and it's not too late to get on board. And so if you're interested in finding out more, if you want to sign up, you can go to our info desk on both campuses as well. So let's go ahead and take a look at chapter four. Actually, let's go back one verse to the very end of chapter three, because it helps us understand and explain why John is going to say what he says. So very end, chapter three, verse 24, 1 John. John says this, the one who keeps God's command lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he, God, lives in us. We know it by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit he gave us. You know, this is one of John's assurance verses, a confidence passage, right? That we live, that we abide with God and he with us. And that's not only evidenced by our outward obedience, but also by the inward Holy Spirit of God who indwells every genuine believer in Jesus Christ. And as we've seen already in the series, this isn't the first time that John talks about the critical role of the Holy Spirit in the life of every Christian. But as John brings up the topic of the Holy Spirit, it jogs something else in his mind. And it's something else he's already talked about in chapter 2, but for some reason he feels like he needs to go back to that again and address it in even more detail. And so that's how chapter 4 begins, right? This is what John says. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So do you see how the Apostle John's mind is working here? He's telling, he's talking about these wonderful things of the Holy Spirit, but then it dawns on him, hmm, speaking of spirits, I need to warn my flock and I need to warn us today. That not every spirit out there is from God. Not every spirit out there is from God. As a matter of fact, there are false prophets. There are liars. There are these small a antichrists who claim to be these divinely chosen mouthpieces for God, for truth, when in fact they're speaking on behalf of a deceptive spirit. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. John says, to see whether or not they're from God. See, this right here is the essence of discernment, testing. And the original word John uses here for test is something you see numerous times in the New Testament. It comes with this idea of rigorously assessing, analyzing certain kinds of metals, right? Whether you can see they are precious, whether they are common, or whether they are counterfeit, right? In other words, you and I, we are to test doctrine, we are to test beliefs to figure out, is it genuine or is it a fraud? So John tells us, you know, don't be so gullible, church. Don't fall for every spiritual charlatan out there, no matter how 
charismatic charisma, you know, they might have, no matter how sincere they might sound, no matter how appealing their message might be. You know, if that was the case back then, 2,000 years ago, right after, the, you know, the time of Christ, then it's only gotten even more complex and confusing and complicated and chaotic today. That we live in this world where people are in a pursuit of a universal search for meaning and truth, and there are so many competing and compelling and confusing and convincing voices out there that are trying to vie for our allegiance. And so the Apostle John, this best friend, this close follower of Jesus, tells us, out of this incredible heart for love, right, that John wants nothing but the best for us, that we are to test the spirits before we trust the spirits. Test the spirits before we trust the spirits, which is great advice, right? It really is, but then it really comes with the million-dollar question after that, right? Which is what? Which is, well, how do you do it? How do you test the spirits? How are we supposed to test the spirit that is behind the message we're hearing? Well, thankfully, John tells us, verse 2, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. There it is, right there, right? This is the test that we're supposed to use with every spiritual message we hear. That when it's all said and done, right? What does this message, what does this prophet who speaks this message, what does this spirit who inspires this prophet to speak this message, what do they have to say about who Jesus is? Do they claim, do they say, do they believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God who entered our world in the flesh as a living human being just like us? The same Jesus that John knew personally and proclaimed publicly? Is this who Jesus is to them, or is he something else? Is he someone else, as those false prophets were teaching back then? You know, and they were doing so, we need to be clear about this. They were doing so in a way that did not deny the existence of Jesus, but they were distorting the nature of Jesus. Not denying the existence of Jesus, but distorting the nature of Jesus, right? And so along with all the other apostles who took the baton from Jesus, right, intending and leading the early church, John tells us that this is the discernment test that matters most. It's the Jesus test, right? The test that can we embrace the mystery that Jesus was and still is fully human and fully divine. This is his nature, both God and man, the eternal son of God who came here in the flesh. Now before we move on from this verse, one other thing I want you to notice about this verse here, and it's this word um, acknowledge, right? In my opinion, I wish the word was stronger than that, you know? When we think of the word acknowledge, it's kind of like a hat tip or a basic recognition. But John's not just talking about that. No, he's talking about something stronger and deeper, like a flat-out confession of faith, like wholehearted belief, right? Where it's like, I know it up here, but I also own it and feel it deeply in here. Acknowledge this is who Jesus is. And even today then, as we evaluate the words of a person in a position of spiritual authority, John says this is the test. The Jesus test, right? That is how you can tell what they're saying is from the Spirit of God or, the rest of verse 3, or this is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. 
the spirit of the Antichrist that denies that Jesus is from God, that Jesus is and came in the flesh. Now, as we've seen John already talk about this spirit of Antichrist in chapter 2, you know, what strikes me here is John is not afraid, and he doesn't water anything down. And he doesn't label these disagreements just as a difference of opinion. No, see, John has this cosmic, eternal, spiritual, big picture in mind where he sees that any distortion, any dilution of Jesus and his gospel, that that this comes from a very dark and a very demonic place, John says. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor Dan, come on. I mean, that seems pretty intense, right? To talk that way about beliefs, being dark and demonic. But you know what? It is. And ever since Jesus arrived on this planet, you know, even going back to his infancy and the murderous plot of King Herod the Great, Satan has been violently opposing the message, the ministry, and the mission of Jesus. Violent opposition, deceiving, distorting, distracting, whatever it takes to keep us from seeing and embracing Jesus, the real Jesus, for who he truly is, the Son of God, the Savior of mankind who has come here in the flesh. And so when John talks about this spirit of the Antichrist that's already in the world, you know, it's his way of grabbing us by the collar and saying, you know, people, this isn't a game. This is warfare. This is spiritual warfare. This is what's at stake. So pay attention, right? Now, as scary as that sounds, John, thankfully, comes back and gives us even more confidence to hold on to in this battle, verse 4. See, you dear children are from God. And you have overcome them, these these spirits, these false prophets. Why? Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Just let that fall on your soul for a little bit, right? The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You are from God, John says. You are on his side. And not only that, but because of Jesus, you have overcome those who are trying to undermine your faith. Yes, the battle rages on, but the war is over. This is not a fair fight. Why? Because the one who is in you is greater. Who is the one in you? This is the Holy Spirit of God. In all his resurrection power, who raised Jesus from the dead, he is the one who lives in you as a believer in Jesus Christ, and so he is greater than the one who is in the world, than Satan, than his demons, who cannot and will not ever measure up to that. Confidence, right? So John's message to us is this, be alert, but don't be afraid. Be alert, but don't be afraid. Why? Because God stands with you and God fights for you. And this is true for any spiritual battle we face, not just the battle of truth, but battles like fear and doubt and insecurity and pride and worry and greed, and lust, and temptation, and disbelief. And I know that as we walk through these doors, we're all facing, wrestling in some kind of battle. Where Satan wants to trip us up and keep us down. And John says, greater, greater is the Holy Spirit, right? Satan, he wants to attack our thoughts. He wants to mess with our emotions. But God is greater, God is greater. How's that for confidence, right? Let's go on, verse five. They, John says, these false prophets, they're from the world, therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, the world seen as this anti-God system that's part of our culture. 
then the world listens to them. So John says, you know how else you can test the spirits? Watch who responds and watch how they respond to the message of a crisis spirituality. How they respond and who responds, right? See, we're often tempted to equate truth with success. And so these false teachers back then, they're gaining this following. Why? Because their message was so alluring. Live how you want, sin is no big deal, right? Their message was rooted in a love for the world rather than a love for the Father. A love for the world that John says back in chapter 2 that is marked by things like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so as the numbers over there under these defectors were growing, it rattled the flock that was under John's care. And some of these vulnerable Christians were left wondering, wow, look how they're growing. Maybe they've got something over there. Maybe John isn't entirely right. And I gotta tell you, that kind of feel is very real for us today because we can really be vulnerable to the pull of public opinion, right? And see where the crowds are gathering and go, wow, maybe that really is kind of what truth is. And John says, no, you know, don't look at like, you know, the numbers. Look at who's responding, right? And so he counters with this, verse six. We, speaking of he and, and all the apostles, we're from God. And whoever knows God list, listens to us, right? Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. And again, John is very particular with his words, this word listen, so it's not just about audibly hearing something. No, we're talking about a listening that is both receptive and responsive. Receptive and responsive to God's message of truth. There is this harmonious connection where the Spirit of God is speaking through the Word of God directly to the child of God, right? This is how we recognize the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. That's, by the way, why we have those moments in church, right? Where out of nowhere, there's something so unexplainable resonates within us, right? It might be a worship song, it might be a weekly message, that whenever Jesus and his gospel are celebrated, we just know, right? The spirit of truth is real and that he is alive in us. And so for us as Christians, true spiritual discernment works on a couple levels, right? It's about us evaluating what we hear about Jesus, but it's also us sensing that confirmation from Jesus, right? This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood, right? And I realize that for some of you, like all that we just walked through might feel like a lecture, right? A lecture about religion, about Christianity specifically. And maybe you're thinking, okay, that's fine for the Apostle John. That's fine for those people back then. But what about me? What about my world? What difference does any of this make in my life? Questions we should always ask about this scripture, right? So let's talk about those. You know, one of the biggest questions I had when I was first working through this passage had to do with verse 2 and verse 3. So let's take a look at those again, right? This is how you recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God, right? And so my question was this, and maybe it's yours as well. Like, why is it such a big deal to acknowledge? Why is it such a big deal to truly believe both head and heart that Jesus came in the flesh? 
You know, all throughout history, all over these last 2,000 years, there have been religious groups, even groups with the quote-unquote Christian label, that claim to believe in Jesus, but reject the Jesus that John knew, reject the Jesus that others in the New Testament present to us, right? Where, like I said earlier, it's not that they deny the existence of Jesus, but they distort the nature of Jesus, And so in some religious circles, you will have people who affirm the humanity of Jesus, right? They'll say, yeah, he was a real guy who actually lived. He was an insightful teacher. He was a moral example. But they reject the divinity of Jesus, right? Maybe they don't believe in the supernatural at all. Maybe they're unwilling to accept miracles like the virgin birth, like the resurrection itself, right? Belief in Jesus the man, but not Jesus as the eternal son of God. And so you take something like Islam, for example, right? Muslims believe in Jesus. Did you know that? They do. As a matter of fact, they believe he is a prophet. But they do not see him as the eternal son of God and the savior of mankind. This accepting the humanity but rejecting the divinity goes also with groups like Christian scientists, Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormon church. The Mormon church who would say that Jesus is a small g God, but not on par with the Father, and that we as human beings can also become small g gods just like Jesus, right? Seeing a Jesus who is fully human but not fully divine. And then there's the opposite, fully divine but not fully human, which is what John was trying to expose here. Bible scholars speculate back then that false prophets taught a separation between the divine Christ and the human Jesus of Nazareth, right? That Jesus wasn't really a man, that he just appeared to be like one. And why was that? Because they thought it was downgrading to think about a God being born in a manger, to think about a God dying on a cross. They had this dualism that says our spirits are good, but our bodies are bad, that the celestial heavens and the terrestrial earth can never and should never mix, right? The spirit good, the body bad. You know, this kind of same mindset exists even today with the influence of Eastern religions like Hinduism and and Buddhism, right? My point is this, that we need Jesus to be both. We need Jesus to be both, both fully God and fully man. Why? Because our salvation, because the gift of eternal life depend on it. Right? This is why John was so zealous to guard the truth that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, has come in the flesh. Jesus had not been fully man, then he could not have died in our place as our representative. Nor could he have paid the penalty for our sin that was ours to pay. So these things that are so crucial to us knowing God personally, like the forgiveness of our sins, like the gift of eternal life, They depend on seeing Jesus for who he truly is, fully God, fully man. Because it's only then when we can see the humanity and the divinity of Jesus that John can write a verse like this, one of the key verses in all of 1 John, chapter 2, verse 1, that he, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, right? That's why his death matters to us. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Listen, if you don't get anything out of this message or anything else out of this series for that matter, don't miss this, that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, came in the flesh to our world on Christmas Day and that Jesus Christ physically died as a man on the cross on Good Friday 
to pay for your sins. And he rose bodily from the grave on Easter Sunday. Why? To secure your forgiveness, to secure your eternity in heaven with God forever. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the living hope that God loves you so much that he will do whatever it takes to rescue you from the death sentence of sin so that you can be his forever, right? This is everything our hearts long for. And all it takes to make it your own is simply to believe and receive. To believe in Jesus as your savior and to humbly, desperately receive his love, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness. And we would love to talk to you more about this, right? If you don't know if that's something you've ever actually done, a commitment of your heart, decision of your life, we'd love to walk you through this because this really is the heart, the core, the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Now to believe that Jesus is both fully God and fully man not only the most important thing for us personally, but this passage also reminds us why we as a church, why we need to place a high priority on both preserving doctrine and pursuing discernment. Preserving doctrine, right? Believing the truth and pursuing discernment, exposing lies. This time last year, as part of a series we did called Hopefield DNA, we talked about five essential ministry values, and the very first one we looked at was something that we call focus faith. Focus faith. And the value of focus faith says this, that our beliefs matter, but they shouldn't all matter the same. That we should have die-fors, we should have fight-fors, we should have fuss-overs beliefs, right? That we hold with differing intensities, right? So it's not just what we believe, but it's also how strongly we hold on to those beliefs. You know, I believe that Scripture teaches, experience backs up, that the shorter our die-for list, the healthier the church, That everything we believe, you know, isn't a die for, right? Otherwise, you run the risk of losing focus. Otherwise, you run the risk of being distracted by things that just are secondary and aren't of prime importance, right? That's why here at Hopel, we have a short but necessary list of three essential die fors that will never change, right? The years will come, the years will go, but this statement stands forever. These three. That the Bible is the only word of God. This is how God has revealed himself to us through his written word. That Jesus, who we have seen in all his glory in 1 John, is the only son of God, the savior of mankind, fully God, fully man, and that his gospel, our salvation by grace through faith, is the only way to God. Now if you think about it, I gotta tell you this list is incredibly unoriginal. Incredibly unoriginal. It isn't something we made up, nor is it completely unique to us. Rather, these are the same foundational beliefs that we see John fighting for back in 1 John and ever since then. These same die-fors have sustained the church of Jesus Christ over the centuries. They've been passed down throughout the generations to us so that we too can carry on the mission of Jesus to our world today. And we can do so with great confidence. Why? Because we know. We know that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. We are on the winning side, and so we proclaim living hope, living hope. And so as I wrap up, as we think about this passage, right, these just, you know, we can't compromise on these beliefs, these die-fors, right? 
We can't let secondary things distract us from what matters most. It is so easy in this world to get caught up in things like partisan politics and find our identity in things like that. But that only distracts us. It divides us as a church body and we lose sight of Jesus' new command to love each other as he has loved us. And so we need this commitment to doctrine and discernment, but it also then needs to be balanced by duty and devotion, our devotion to God and to each other. So let me challenge you with this, right? That it's not just enough to say we believe in Jesus. No, it matters what we believe about Jesus and how we each personally believe in Jesus, right? A lot of people say they believe in Jesus, but what is it that you believe about Jesus? And what does that mean to you, right? In a personal way, where the light and the love of Jesus where they guide our way, where they change our life. Right? That's where it goes from here to here and comes through here and how we live in the rest of the 167 hours of our week. That's why I love our closing song today called The Way, right? Because it reminds us that Jesus truly is the way and the truth and the life. And it encourages us to live confidently in light of that every single day. Where those beliefs come alive in us that through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance that we truly believe that Jesus is our fortress, our portion, our hiding place. And so we believe, we trust, we live in Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you give us a compass. Sometimes as we try to navigate this world, we feel like we're lost in a thick, dense forest. We're trying to find our way. And yet we look up. And we see that you, Jesus, you are light and you are love. Light for us and love for us. And thank you that in the midst of our confusion, uncertainty, fear, insecurity, that you set our feet on a solid ground and you give us a living hope in the midst of our confusion, our chaos and despair. And Lord, I I know that some right now, they just feel like a mess on the inside, right? Life's hard or it's not playing out the way they thought it would. And I just pray, Jesus, You grab them by the hand, bring comfort to their heart, and lead them in the next step forward on their journey to knowing and following you. And so Jesus, thank you. Thank you for giving us what we need to know about you and that we would live in that. And so that in our life and every hour of our week, Jesus, you are guiding the way as we experience and live in the blessing of your great love and your forever forgiveness. And so Lord, even now, as we respond in worship, we do so proclaiming that you, Jesus, are the way, the truth, and the life. life. In your precious and powerful name we pray, amen. Yeah, it's a good word. Let's get up and sing that, friends.
Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress, and you are my portion, and you are my hiding place. Yeah, I believe you are the way, the truth. Every promise, every breath I take, mm, I believe that you are provider, and you are protector, and you are the one I love. Yeah, I believe you are the way, the truth. True. 
believe that this morning? Woo! Yeah, that's right. I love that line about bringing our fears and our doubts into the presence of the Lord because he is greater. Yeah. He's greater than those. Next week, we'll continue our Confidence in the Chaos series. But as you go from here, may you go in the confidence in knowing that greater is the one in you than the one who is in the world. God bless you.